Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, VA fam, it is Mandra back with another episode of Brown Ambition. Today's guest, y'all, is incredibly special. I had the opportunity to speak with today's guest last week, and I knew from that conversation that I was like, you have to be on Brown Ambition, and this is how quickly I made it happen, okay? Within one week, I have her on the show, and I am so excited to bring today's guest to you. Her name is Deepa Prashathaman. She is, I don't even... You're going to have to bear with me because this woman's accolades and titles are just, they go on for miles and miles and miles. And I'm going to fight my own imposter syndrome and explain a little bit to y'all about who my new friend Deepa is, okay? Not only is Deepa the co-founder of her own company called Information, which provides brave, safe space for professional women of color to advance in their careers, she is also a women in public policy program leader in practice at Harvard Kennedy School. You may have heard of it. Prior to that, Deepa spent more than 20 years in corporate America at Deloitte, and she was the first Indian American woman to make partner in the company's history, history. And with Deepa's deep knowledge of what it means to be one of the first, one of the few, one of the only, she wrote a beautiful book, which you guys have to go pick up. It just was released earlier this month. Go find her new book. It's called The First, The Few, The Only, How Women of Color Can Redefine Power in Corporate America. Like I said, it's out right now. Go to the show notes. You can download your copy. You can pick up the book. We have to support. I'm telling you, when women of color publish books, I think it is all of our duty to go and purchase them so that other women of color can get book deals, right? So in this book, which is so unique, Deepa chronicles over 500 interviews with women of color, women who were not just people of color in in corporate America, but their own version of the first the fews or the onlys in corporate America. And Deepa in her book talks about why it's finally time to stop glamorizing women of color leaders in corporate America. Thank you for that. And how we can start dismantling those outdated power structures so that only a few of us seem to be able to make it and how that few can become many instead. So Thank you so much for letting me brag on you, Deepa. I know. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> uncomfortable to listen to your own bio, but I was like, you're going to listen to it. Oh, but you did it. You survived. Thank you so much for joining Brown Ambition. I'm so excited to chat with you. I just feel like we have so many things to talk about right now. So let's jump into it. First few only different, I mean, I think you and I intimately, as well as our audience, knows what that is like knows how isolating it can feel. But I love and you know where I think you and I have in common, one of the many things is that we were able to thrive in corporate America in spite of being one of the few, you know, first only difference in our world. And I know I feel like what was so isolating was that 
within your company, there weren't many people who looked like you to turn to. But as soon as I sort of opened up to meeting the first few only difference outside of my company and, you know, started to open myself up to building those relationships, I was like, okay, it feels like I'm alone, but I'm not alone. How important is it to you and like in your messaging in the book for women of color for us to like find support among one another? I think it's game changing. It's probably the most important thing we can do. Um, and my own story is similar to yours. So I spent three years knowing it was time to leave and we can come back to, to all the reasons why. But I knew it was time to leave and I struggled as a first. I struggled because I felt like if I left, it would represent not only potentially badly on me and my own challenges and mine were health related. So it wasn't even a, a you know, a capability issue in, in that sort of sense. But I also worried that it would reflect on other women of color coming after me. So I sat in my seat knowing I wanted to leave and probably being unhappy for a little while just, just for that reason. And so in an attempt to figure out what to do, I started meeting with women of color because to your point, there weren't a lot in my company. There were hardly any ahead of me. And so it started one-on-one, -on -one, eventually turned into two-person, three-person dinners. And then at one point, my now business partner, who was then my coach, um, and I did about a dozen dinners across the country where I met 300 senior women of color. And that was game-changing. That was liberation because we would get in these rooms, I thought for an hour or two to network. And I'm not exaggerating. Six, seven, eight hours later, we were still, you know, drinking wine, having chocolate, <laughs> you know, talking because we had all the same stories, but we had never met each other to talk about it. And so many of us, to your point, were isolated. So for me, that gave me almost permission to go back and leave my role and also started, you know, the book and the work that I do now. But I think a lot of us are isolated and we think so much of what's happening to us is us, right? Or it's our, you know, deficiencies or our insecurities. And what we really realize from meeting others is it's not us, it's the system. And that I cannot tell you how freeing that is. So, so important. Yeah. I'm wondering why I wasn't invited to any of these dinners. I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> you will you be have, next time. Yes. It yeah, was, can you it have was honestly, these? it's a great question. It was, it was word of mouth. It was like friends of friends or through LinkedIn. Yeah. And that's the other challenge, by the way, like there isn't a roster. You can't, it's, it's sometimes hard to find each other. And so, and we're also taught not to reach out to people, right? That, that if you don't know people, everyone's busy and you don't want to bother them. And I think mm -hmm. the last few years have shown us we need community and it's okay to reach out to people you don't know and, and to make new friends. Yeah, a thousand percent. And I'm, I'm the work that you do with information. It was sort of, it was also, I feel like for you, or maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but it was an answer to that lack, that need. Yes. You know, can I build what I feel, I feel like I could, I would have loved to have had while I was coming Absolutely. up and moving through yeah. the ranks? Yeah. I mean, information was really kind of an outgrowth of the dinners where we would end the dinners, you know, again, literally in the parking lots at three o'clock in the morning. And the women would say, this is the best thing I've been to. Like, what, when are you doing this again? Obviously, the business model and the whole plan, you know, turned on its head with COVID and George Floyd's murder really changed how we talk about race at work and, and all of that together. So we had to rethink how that would what that would look like, because at one point we thought it might be just dinners, right? Like some sort of sequence of coming back. And it's all gone virtual online. And it's a very different format. But it came out of that need to want to continue the discussions and really bring together women so that we're not we're not struggling in the ways that we're struggling and isolated and um, facing a lot of the trauma, I think, on our own, which we, we shouldn't have to do, but we haven't had space to talk about that before. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, you work with companies. I mean, that's part of your work is helping companies figure out how to do how to make how to change those systems that can make it so difficult for women like us to thrive. And at the same time, I feel like it's also for me, it's about showing that sometimes companies like we put too much 
expectation on them to get it right in a way. Like, of course, they have the resources and and you want women to succeed. So here's what you should do. But what I love about information and just your own work was, well, what what if we create our own spaces and we and we find our own places where we can feel safe? For me, it was also really liberating to start doing that on my own. And I don't think if I hadn't just like you, sometimes you just can't wait for them to get it right. Because some of us, like time is not necessarily something that we have in abundance, especially yes. when you're when you're trying to move through your career, I feel like it's going to take companies years and years and years. If they they just started in 2020, woo, it's going to take them yeah. a long time to start getting it right. So in the meantime, it's about like, how can I find resources like information or my own, you know, coaching program or whatever program may be close to you, but where can you find community, like your community of peers to lean on for support so that you don't get burnt out, exhausted, and leave. I also think companies sometimes, you know, I feel like we're in a moment and I don't think all companies are the same, right? There is a lot, there are a lot of companies and you and I have talked about this doing performative work where they're not even really able to do the hard lifting because they don't even know what that is. But I think other companies want to do better, but I mean, same sort of situation. They don't really know what to do. And so I think that's why a lot of us are solving it outside of the structures and the systems, because we know for them to catch up, I'm not saying they can't ever do it, but it's not a safe space space right now. They don't know how to hold the space. They don't know how to have the conversations. And in some cases, what we're talking about is directly in the face of, of the things that um, they worry about, right? Like we are we are talking about things like racism. And from a legal perspective, a lot of the structures and a lot of the system has been set up to protect the company. And so it's just, they don't know what to do. And so we need a lot of the processes and a lot of the culture to change. And so I think while we're waiting, folks like you and I are trying to figure it out and trying to provide the support. Uh, and hopefully, the companies will catch up. But in case they don't, we also have resources and ways of doing it. Can we talk a little bit about like if you could pinpoint, I don't know, one or two examples of processes at companies that are creating these situations where more women of color are not reaching the upper echelons at their companies? Like what would some of those be that you would love to see just dismantled? Yeah, you know, the biggest one is just the reporting processes for racism. So I have a, you know, I, I talked to a number of women, and this is the most shocking part. So I talked them, I talked to a number of different women at all levels, but the most senior women kept telling me the same stories over and over again. So a lot of them felt like they had been taught, I will, you know, maybe compromise on certain things. I will maybe show up a certain way. Um, I will maybe conform. But once I get to the seat, I'll do it differently. And the challenge was a lot of those women, once they got to the senior seats, they found less ability to do it their way there was more pressure to kind of get along and toe the line and do what the company was expecting them to do. And the place where I found it the most shocking was literally in reporting racism. So there's about eight women that I spoke with, again, VP level and above, who told me they ended up leaving their industries, leaving their companies, because they reported a case of incident, uh, incident of racism, whether it was them or you know someone they witnessed. And the company didn't appreciate them doing that, even though they followed the protocols, even though they followed the rules, because the company all all of a sudden felt like they were liable, right? Or they were, you know, legally uh, could be held responsible. So it was almost as if the woman who was trying to tell her truth and improve the culture all of a sudden became kind of the, the lightning rod or the problem. And it was story after story after story. So I think at, you know, at the highest level, at the simplest level, I think we need new processes and new ways we report racism. The reporting doesn't work. And also the people sitting in the seats taking in the stories, what I found is a lot of them are white leaders and they don't necessarily understand racism. So there's a lot of back and forth. It's not that bad. And I don't really know what you're talking about. And so sometimes in those cases, what I'm hearing is we need outside 
folks to do that work. We need outside representatives. We need outside investigators until companies can kind of catch up, put the right people in the seats and understand what to do. So it's not a a legal liable issue. It's a different sort of conversation. Yeah, it really doesn't feel safe to go to HR anymore at all. It hasn't for a long time. There's this lack of trust. And if companies think, okay, 2020 happened and you have a bunch of town halls or group webinars or group Zooms where you kind of let you just like color people of color, tell us how you're feeling. If you've got, you know, senior leaders who are attending those calls and for half an hour listening to people and then Oh, it doesn't seem that bad. People here seem, you know, but they don't trust you enough to actually tell the truth in that half hour Zoom session. The trust isn't there. And I think that you've touched on that, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a way that I'm just like, oh, that makes sense. You know, what if we take that reporting structure outside of the company and we say, you don't have to trust your manager or HR to handle your complaint. We're going to give it to this third party. And then maybe it's even anonymized in some way. I don't know, but make us feel safer putting our necks out there. Because that, that it's right. <laughs> it's not a lot of upside, as you as right. you've seen in your work, not a lot of upside being the squeaky wheel sometimes. Absolutely. And you may think when you get to a more senior level, like you said, it gets easier, like your voice has more weight. But I'm trying to think back now. Once I got to like the senior director level and I was on track to become a VP, the expectation immediately. I remember when I was. I asked my manager at the time, my boss's boss, like, so I want to become a VP. What's what do I what do I got to do? Tell me how it works. And one of the you know, one of the I forget how many parts of the plan to get me on the VP track where one of them was demonstrating that I could work with the other department heads and creating projects. And one by one, it was a white dude after a white dude and learning how to deal with those personalities and 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 work in those rooms and and to feel like in order for me to get ahead they had to endorse me you know it it made it even more challenging like i, I this is not my target audience you know what i mean yes yes and i do i had found my safe space and i had and i had gotten very far in my in my corner of the company but when i had to start reaching outward to those other department heads it was it was then when i was like feeling that sense of, do I belong here? Do I want to be here? Is this really where I want? You know what I mean? And then we get to the feelings of guilt, like you said, when you are the only one and it's time and you realize it's time for you to move on. So can you talk about that? When we realize it's no longer where we want to be, how do you, what kind of advice do you have for women who are thinking, well, shoot, if it's not me, who's going to be here to champion you know, women of color here represent us. I think the most surprising thing I found in all the women I, and I continue to work with is our sense of responsibility. And it's deep and it's there for women who even may think it's not there. And responsibility to our communities, to our families. You know, I interviewed a lot of immigrant women, for example. And I mean, my parents were immigrants to this country and the story of sacrifice, right? And how much my parents gave up was like a constant topic of conversation. So that sense of responsibility is different for different groups, but it's really ingrained, I think, for a lot of the women of color I interviewed. And so a lot of them will realize, I think, somewhat, you know, halfway through, let's just call it halfway through that this is maybe not a culture that I can thrive in. This is not maybe working for me, but I got to continue pushing. And a lot of women of color, I think, struggle because we've, one, been told to be grateful for the opportunity. And so we're confused. I think, to your point, we feel guilty. I think a lot of us feel like our work is getting to the seat and opening it up for others. And, you know, what does that really mean for us personally? And we, a lot of us have been taught to sacrifice. And so I 
think it's all really difficult. For me, it came down to, I had known for a while that the lifestyle that I had was not conducive for me. So I started to get sick. That's kind of the, a very long story short. And I don't mean, um, you know, small, small things. I mean, every week it was like a new symptom to the point that I was probably uh, dealing with 20 or 30 symptoms. I'd been to 14 doctors. I tell a story in the book where I'd been to 14 doctors and they all agreed there was something wrong with me. You know, some of them related it to age. I had turned 40, like maybe that's what had happened. Um, but they agreed something was happening. Um, and I was at my 14th doctor and she looked at me and she said, we can keep running tests or I can tell you what I think you already know. And when I tell the story, I always say like, I had brought my suitcase to the appointment because I was a doctor I saw when I traveled because I lived on a plane. I did three cities a week in the nature of the job that I had. And so she's already judging me like, why is this woman bringing her suitcase to her doctor's appointment? And she said, I really think your job is making you ill. I think your job is killing you. I think you need to really do something else. My 14th doctor and, um, you know, doctor I saw when I traveled and she asked me three life changing questions that were profound, I think for anybody, but I think especially for women of color. She said, what would you do if you didn't do a big job like this? She said, her second question to me was, do you feel like you have to do a big job to be worthy? And her third question was, don't you see you're worthy being you? And I think part of my struggle was I'd been taught that, you know, some of my worthiness, a lot of my worthiness came from performing, came from doing more, came from showing up, came from succeeding. That was a lot of what I had been taught, I think, especially from my immigrant family. And it was a real struggle to walk away from that life, to walk away from the security of what that brought, and to really question, is this something I still want to do? And the most shocking thing of all of the women I spoke with is I think a lot of us are sick in ways that we don't talk about. So two out of three women of color I interviewed were sick with these, what I call mysterious symptoms, right? So uh, stomach pains, skin rashes, headaches, fertility issues, adrenal fatigue, and I have a long list. But there are these things that I think are these um, growing symptoms, but things that doctors can dismiss and tell us they're not that big a deal, but they really affect us. And a lot of what I believe, and I talked to a number of doctors, I think it comes from not being seen and heard in systems, from not really feeling supported. And to your point, from adapting and fitting in and staying longer than we should. So I think these are really important conversations we have to have. Like, when is when do you stay and when do you go? When is a culture not working for you? And when is it causing more trauma or harm? And when is it okay to give yourself permission to walk away? I think those are real big questions for women of color. My God, I, I can't imagine how terrifying that must be to to feel like all these uh, the, the physical manifestation of that isolation and you know the fact that our work really can make us ill i remember my mom my mom had suffered you know she was a single mom for a long time and it was always very stressful she you know the end of her career came from like a, a an illness that was really tied to um, mental strain and it was like okay 20 years of you grinding out to make things work and your body has revolted. So it's not even a matter of sometimes just it's about our physical safety too as much as our our mental safety to to recognize that. All right, I am loving this conversation with our incredible guest Deepa Prashathaman. I'm going to take a quick break. I will be right back with Deepa and by the way, do not forget to check out her website. It's deepaperu.com. Check the show notes for a link to get her book and find out all about information. We will be right back. Hey BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. 
They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, BA fam, I am back with my guest today, Deepa Prashathaman. Here we go. Let's get back to our conversation. I feel like one of the things that has to happen too to make you feel safe, excuse me, in a decision to leave is even to recognize, I mean, leaving for you was entrepreneurship and writing a book and all of that, and hopefully a really long vacation. Hopefully you <laughs> took some time off to rest. I, well, yeah. I, was gonna say, I spent eight <laughs> months in bed, so my symptoms actually grew to a point where I couldn't listen anymore. It sounds like similar to your mother where my body was just screaming, like, get out. It's time. Because <laughs> yes. I wasn't listening, right? It was my entire identity, and it took me a long time to leave because of the, that sense of responsibility. But yeah, I, I did take a break. And it was hard for me as her daughter to even see her like that and to even for my own mind, like mom is not okay, but she's always okay. We always just push through. It was really challenging. That's like a whole other topic for another show. Yes, it is. But it is. <laughs> absolutely. But even to to hear stories from women who are experiencing a joyful work environment, who are thriving, and to see that there are opportunities elsewhere. It does not have to be this way everywhere. And that there's examples. And and that's where it comes back to like getting to know other people, other women, especially, you know, in your industry who are working places and look for the ones who are happy and thriving and see how you can get there. Because it may it may not be you, it may be the culture that you're in, but you can rescue yourself, you know, and get yourself out of it. And I feel like, um, you know, our mutual friend now, I can call her friend, Ruchika Tolshian, she was on the show a couple weeks ago and she and I were talking about how, you know, it, it is that perception that I have to just grin and bear it, you know, that this is what it's going to be. So let's just get used to it. But no, no, you can get out and there's other places. It may not be entrepreneurship. Like it's not for everyone, but like, what are the signs, you know, if you were going back into corporate America now, I know that you're not on that path right now, but if you were, what would you be looking for? You know, signs that this is a safe space for me. Yeah. One of my pieces of advice is to reach out to people. I mean, similar to what we did for the dinners where we just cold called people or message people on LinkedIn. I think it's okay. And we're seeing more women of, I'm seeing more women of color do this to just reach out to people at the company at their level below more senior and just say, is this a woman of color friendly place? And people often ask me like, well, people tell them, I think now people will, you know, like don't come here right now or that department is notorious. So ask, like ask, you know, ask your sisters. I think we'll share more. I also think looking at, you know, traditional places like Glassdoor and other places where there are reviews and there's more online information than there has ever been before. And I think that's okay to ask as well. I think also talking about the resources you need to be successful. I mean, if we're talking about senior women, you could ask for things like coaches and external support. So negotiate those things as you kind of land your deal. Because if, if you know like a culture, you're going to be one of 
the only, I think that's an okay thing to say. I need, you know, I just want to make sure I'm supported and I have what I need to succeed. I also think this is a little bit of, you know, when I first wrote the book, it's funny, like the title was stay or go. And people tell me, you can't be telling everyone to go. <laughs> Although two years later, maybe I can, right? I think we are in a place where everyone's asking, you know, what do they really want to do? What's the space that work takes up in our life? And I think it's okay to say that certain companies are not conducive or supportive for women of color, just period, end of sentence, they are not. And so many of the women of color are going and creating their own companies that I know because they're trying to create different cultures that are friendly for us. And so I also think that is a real thing. And so it's a little bit of making sure not only the company is friendly, but the department and the person you're going to be working for is also, to your point, right, you kind of share this in your own story, like that person really influences your day to day and how it feels. And so asking questions about that person is also something that can be helpful and insightful and important to do too. Yeah, I accidentally went a little baby viral on TikTok because I shared a video and it was like three questions you should ask during an interview. And it was meant to be kind of jokey about how companies will, they'll do things like make Juneteenth a company holiday. And they'll appoint a head of inclusion and diversity. But if you ask them, so how many women of color are at the VP level or above? And then things get really quiet and awkward. And I started, I really didn't start incorporating that into the questions I asked in my last year of corporate America. Who knows? Maybe I'll go back. Who knows? But, and I encourage women to ask that. And some of the responses were, can you ask that? Is this even seen as an okay question? And I'm like, you know, the fact that we're asking, and if you're coming in at a, at a senior level like that, VP or above, I mean, the fact that you were asking, I feel like recruiters should know that, you know, it's going to become as important, I feel like, to have stats to share on how successful diverse employees are, it's going to become as important to have those stats as it is to have unlimited PTO and free lunch. I completely agree. I I just did a conversation, you know, I get called by recruiters all the time and I usually pass them to other people because like you, I am not looking at the moment, but that was one of my questions. I said, before I refer another woman of color, can you tell me how many, you know, senior women of color are? Can you tell me these three questions, right? How many there are, you know, where does the chief inclusion officer report into? I mean, it sounds like similar questions you ask, like, you know, you know, what is the, what is the entry level and what, you know, I asked a a question about mid-level. And the recruiter said, I can't answer any of those questions. Those are good questions. Well, I said, I'm not going to give you another woman of color's name unless you can come back to me with those answers. You know, that that could be just maybe you didn't ask, but if the company doesn't have that information, then I don't know that I'm going to refer a friend or a sister. Like that makes no sense either. So I think those are all real things. I think the other part I want to just say is there's also, you know, I have a line in the book and I've really spent a lot of time. So I spent eight months off really figuring out if I could go back, like if I was healthy, did I want that to be my identity? There's a lot tied into like being a partner was my entire identity and I'd sacrificed a lot to get to that seat. But I realized I probably, if I was going to go back, would do the job differently. And I think that's also really important to talk about that. I think there are ways that we can also perform in roles and to your point, ask more questions, do more things. I wouldn't probably go back and do that job and give it as much of myself as I had. I would have set clearer boundaries. I would have maybe not conformed on certain behavior where early on it didn't feel like a big deal. You know, maybe um, again for me it was a lot of just personal time and how much how much I sacrificed and you know how, how my priorities and how I prioritize things. I might make bigger boundaries. And I think had I started that early, it wouldn't have been such a surprise to do it later. But it, it is a hard thing to do to just show up at a senior level and all of a sudden then you're setting boundaries. So I think this is a little bit of teaching all of us to do it earlier. And to your point, if you know early on you can't do that, then maybe that's not the right place to go because you know you're being set up for sacrifice early on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's maybe not even a question of, and this is harder for a recruiter to answer, but okay, so if you have a bunch of women of color at the VP level above, how many of those women are happy? <laughs> and that's not a question you can really get from a recruiter. You have to talk to other women. And I think, well, I have a, a couple of thoughts, but I feel like even reaching out, if you see women of color, you know, thank goodness for LinkedIn, even just reaching out and saying, hey, I'm actually considering a role at your company. I would love to, you know, have a chat for 15 minutes to just ask about your experience and try to get some candid insights into how women there are doing and are they happy? Because I think what I think is beautiful about, you know, up and coming career women is that we are not as accepting of that cutthroat, sacrifice everything, you know, claw and scratch your way to the top lifestyle. We want a softer life. We want success and wealth. And we don't want to have to sacrifice our mental, physical health, our family, our interests, our passions, you know what I mean? And I think for those of us who have kind of seen it, I mean, you certainly too, I mean, you look back even now, and you say after a 20 year career, like, okay, I would go back and, and do things differently. I would hope for women approaching their career today that they could listen to that advice, take it, but but not think that they have to settle for less, that they have to not go for those top positions. It's just going for them, but but recognizing and putting those boundaries in place so that you don't have to sacrifice yourself necessarily along the way to get I think there. That's right. I think a lot of, you know, what I found, you know, I talk about personal power. That's what the book is about. It's, it is all these women who said, I don't want that kind of power. I want to do it differently. But we've not been taught always how to do it differently. And some of this is realizing for ourselves what our boundaries are. What do we need to be healthy and happy? Like, what is it that we want and we need? And we've never, I think, been given permission to ask those questions of ourselves sometimes. And we haven't really, we don't know how to do that. So it's really, I think, in, in some cases, before you go into your next job, before you go into your next thing, sitting down and, and making a list, like what made you happy in your last job? What don't you want? What do you want more of? What is truly going to make you thrive? And then, you know, finding ways to ask those questions in a really different way during the interview. But this is so much of, as I think, us knowing what we need and want, and then finding ways to make sure we get what we need and want, and that it's okay to need and want things. I mean, that's really where we have to start, because I think a lot of the women that I interviewed we're not taught that, you know, we're just taught to push through and, and, and survive and, and do more and work four times as hard was right comes up so many times. But I think it's a different like we're asking new questions. We don't want to just keep doing that. It's not good for us. And it's not good for the next generation. So how do we start to, to do power differently? How do we start to set boundaries now so that we can change work so that we get more to the many, right? Not just the, the fuse that I think that's really what the work is right now. Yeah, I'm kind of chuckling in my head right now because my my baby cousin lives with me. She's my she's my mother's helper. She's my just everything. She was my assistant for a hot minute. Not a great one, but anyway. So, but she got she got cuz she knows me too well. Anyway, but she just got a, a new job as a, an executive assistant to a um a mom and pop fashion label in our area and I remember she's only been on the job for 2 weeks and over the weekend she came to me and she had these like big scary eyes and she's like, "Mandy, is this what it's like? My boss just texted me. It's 8 o'clock on a Saturday. He texted me. He texted me. I don't want to take texts on the weekend." And I was said, "Well, you know what?" You don't respond to that text until 8.30 a.m. on Monday, which is usually when she gets into work. And I was just like really intense with her. Like, if you give me your phone, do not respond to that text. 
and I was like, this, this, and I was, she was like, calm down. But I was like, this is, this is when it happens. This is when you stop, you know, you don't put a barrier in your way. And then two years from now, you're like, he's, he's showing up on your front door, you know, with a work emergency and you don't know how your life became this way. But yeah, I'm good for her generation, you know, the, the generation Z or whatever she is, zillennial, who are kind of starting to getting it, starting to get it. But I think we still need one another to like check each other when we when we start to forget, you know, what's really important and what really matters. Yeah. Yeah. When Shout I met, you know, because I did I did talk to, I call them less tenured women. I did talk to that generation. It's interesting. I think they know more than we knew, like that that they want a different life and that they want to set those boundaries. What's interesting is they don't know, to your point, if they can. And so I think more of us need to say, yes, don't answer that phone. You know, d- don't text back right now. Wait till Monday. It's okay. I think they want to do it differently, but they need the encouragement and the permission to do it differently. So it's still there. I don't think they're fully there where they're not going to respond. I think they they know maybe there's a different choice, but we need to help them uh, or remind them or, you know, implore upon them, don't respond on Saturday night, wait till Monday. So you, <laughs> what you did is what we need to do more of. And more in mentorship, like, I mean, I think that that is such a missing piece from so many companies is when you, you, you spend a lot of time trying to recruit more diverse talent, but then who's who's kind of taking them under their wing and helping show them a healthy way of succeeding and a healthy way of moving through the company and 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 what sort of systems do you have in place to support them that is a huge missing piece and i think some companies maybe few and far between are are doing it but if you're at a place where maybe you feel like you don't have that kind of support then take it on yourself to find those support systems to find those programs like deepa said oh man i used to love making my company pay for like executive leadership seminars and coaching and all kinds of stuff. They'll say yes, especially if they're like, oh, I don't have to do this myself. I can just give you $5,000 and problem solved, you know, let them spend their money on it. That's how I feel. Yeah. I also think we can be peers to, you know, coaches and peers for each other. I think that's also part of uh, the magic and and what we're seeing. So, you know, information's only a year old, and I may have shared this when we chatted, but just a quarter into our programming, we found that 25% of our women asked for bigger jobs or more money or left their roles as a result of seeing others kind of stand in their power. And it wasn't anything magical that Ron and I were teaching. It was just they saw each other do it. And they're like, well, if she can do it, then I'm going to do it. And there's something to that. And because we're so isolated, because we're one of the onlys in our companies, we don't get to see other examples and other women of color asking their worth and standing in their space and all of those things. And so I think it's also, uh, to your point, I, th- I think we need each other to just just to re- be reminded of that too. Hells yeah. Well, where can people find out more about you, Deepa, and find out about information and the book and all that good stuff? Yeah. So my website's probably the best place because everything's there. So Deepa Peru, D-E-E-P-A-P-U-R-U.com, the information about the book and the wait list for information. We interview all women, uh, not that we are, you know, trying to to sort through, but we just want to make sure that the women that we have part of the community know how to hold space for each other um, and can make space for others. And so we will, we will set up a time to meet you and from there move you forward if this is something you're interested in. Oh, exciting. I love it. Deepa, thank you so much for joining Brown Ambition. And thank you for all of the incredible work you're doing. I'm I'm so happy that you were able to rescue yourself and get to a healthier place um, and share your many gifts and talents with us because clearly we've all been dying for a voice like yours. And I'm just so happy to, that you've shared it with Brown Ambition. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the space you hold. We need more people to have conversations like this. So thank you. 
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.